This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 65 of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason, and as always, I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are you going today, fellas? Going well, thanks, Jace. Really pumped up today. Just uh, going to get a little bit narky today again. You know, government's been doing some interesting things, and we're going to have a little chat about it. But I'm good. Back from Noosa. So if you check me out on YouTube, I'm beautifully bronzed <laughs> and uh, relaxed, refreshed. So feeling good. Nick, how are you, my friend? Going well. I'm going well. We're just... Uh well, this today, it's the 2nd of the 9th that we're recording this, yeah. I'm allowed to say that. Uh, so, Jason and I are off to the footy after this, so we can't wait to see the D smash the swans. So, everyone's listening to this, they'll know the result. But yeah, look, I'm just happy to have Marty back, to be honest. Everything was just falling apart without you, mate, in the office. So, people were wondering if you were coming back after all the photos we were seeing. You look, look like you're well and truly set in Noosa and that could be it. It's, it's unique to see me happy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you got to love work. I was ready to so, come back though. That's the one great thing about refreshing. You go out and just have some fun and uh, by the end of the 10 days I was I was ready to fire again. So it was a good break. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. Jace, how are you, mate? Mate, very good, guys. Just uh, glad to see the end of August, get through this month, footy final, spring is in the air, winter's behind us. Um, yeah, I think it's this time, this time of the year when things really start to take a turn and you know some of the energy and the optimism around the land is up and about so you know as much as we are up and about on today's episode marty you you were saying that you're fired up what have we got happening today Uh, i just i just come back to there's been talk with the greens lately um that they're talking about the government freezing rents uh for tenants so obviously you know rents have gone up recently and uh, there's a little bit of homelessness going on and people are struggling. Uh, and they've come up with the idea that they want to cap rents for the next two years. So no increases for the next couple of years. And then up to 2029, only increasing uh, rents by 2% per year. And it just frustrates me because I, I, I kind of look at the numbers and I go, if I look at it over the last 10 years, Let's say, for instance, in Melbourne, inflation over the last 10 years, the cumulative inflation has gone up 25.6%, yet tenancy growth, rent growth has gone up 12.5%. If we look at Sydney, inflation 25.6%, tenancy growth 12.5%. If I go into Brisbane, 25% inflation and only 12.1%. So landlords... And we're talking landlords here, mums and dads trying to get ahead, right? They buy an investment property for their futures and they've had a lean time. They've been negatively geared. You know, they've been rocketing at what? One or 2% a year if they're lucky, you know, in regards to their return. And now, just as inflation's going up, all the costs are going up, interest rates are going up, just when they need to have that spike in regards to a, a better rental return, um, the government's come out and talking like this. To me, it just does not make sense that they want to 
cap these rents so wages can gradually uh, catch up. I feel like we live in a nation that is capitalism and I get that there's a problem there and people need homes to live in, but surely that's socialism. That's something the government should be looking at and building more cost-effective housing for people to be able to tenant. Or, again, we'll talk about solutions, but potentially give incentives or tax returns to tenants that take out, you know, rentals. You know, there's stuff that could be done, but you just can't, now that the first time landlords are really getting a bit of an upkeep in their rent, uh, getting a return on cash flow, uh, we're now you know, stripping that away from them. I just think it makes no sense. It's like a business basically saying, look, expenses are going up in your business, but we're not allowing you to earn any more money. You know, it, it, just, it just goes against everything we are about to get ahead in Australia. And I just thought it was just crazy. And if this gets through, I'll be uh, picketing. Uh, boys, what, what, what do you think about that? I hope I haven't been too harsh on that, but I feel, yeah, fundamentally, it's it's just not right. It's it's counterintuitive, right? Because one of the big reasons that there is a rental increase is just lack of supply. And why is there a lack of supply? Because not this is not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is the government has made it very difficult to be a landlord. You look at all of the rules that were introduced through COVID that were very pro-tenant, um, most landlords that sold sold because of those. They've been they're sitting on capital gains for the last few years. It's just got more and more difficult to own a property. There's more costs involved to own the property, as you've, you've rightfully stated, Marty. So, landlords have sold and cashed in. So you need landlords to come back. You need landlords to buy property and want to build properties. What's the one thing that's going to stop them? Things like this capping the rental income. So. You've got a supply issue, so you go and do something that's going to stop landlords coming back into the market. It completely makes no sense to me. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's one of these things, like you said, the, the government needs to take some sort of responsibility for, for what is happening. And I don't like the misconception that, that, that's out there that the word landlord is someone that's wealthy. It's not necessarily the case. As you've rightfully stated, Marty, it's mum and dads that are getting ahead in life trying to do something um, to set themselves up, to set their kids up, and the government just keeps making it, well, wants to make it, and we're talking about the Greens here, so let's be clear on that, but they want to make it more difficult. It just makes absolutely no sense. Um, But there's other solutions that we could probably touch on as well. Yeah, and I think you're right. As a a landlord, um, you're thinking about interest rates going up as they have recently, and it's really important for landlords to be actually reviewing their finances on just a little hot tip out there because again you want to put cash flow back into your pocket and save some money as well but you want to incentivize landlords like you said nick to buy property um we need landlords to we need mums and dads to buy property and if you're going to have your first experience of buying an investment property uh even as a mum and dad you're going into the market that has to be there has to be a sense of ease in that so that's going to stop people from buying investments it just it, it just is so counterintuitive. You know, first they were hitting the landlords with maybe stripping them from the negative gearing benefits. And then there was even some talk, and this was, this is just you know, hearsay at the moment, that um, you don't get the capital gain benefits after 12 months if you buy an investment. So you get taxed at that uh, 50% rate the whole way through. And you just mm. go on, on, on the benefit and you just go, what are they doing? You know, this just is 
just crazy in my eyes. Mm. Jace, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, look, uh, touching on the same sentiment, like most of the tax returns we do for your mum and dad's earning 80, 90 grand raising a family, they're the ones that, that are, you know, going all out, taking a risk to own a rental property. Now, it's a risk for you to go out and get another $600,000 home loan to stack on top of your main residence because you want to try and get ahead at life and build a property portfolio to have a better future for you and your family. You've taken a risk, you've worked hard, you've obviously saved some money to have a deposit for that home, just to be seen as the greedy landlord who's now putting up the the prices of their rents. I think what the government has got wrong and you know and a lot of the time the attitude that people have is that you know it's the landlord that should take a hit when the the landlord's costs are going up as you touched on interest rates everything else and for a long 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 time the growth in rental rental yields has been extremely low so it's finally the opportunity to turn around and go you know what prices are going up across the board whether it's fuel or whatever else rents are going to have to go up as well and when there is a supply issue there's usually a much bigger thing at play than just you know the, the landlords being greedy and putting rents up and people can't afford it. Supply and demand means there are so many people looking for a home and there are simply not enough homes out there. So I think the bigger question that needs to be asked is what else can be done instead of freezing rent rises and screwing the landlord over, what are the things that we can do to make getting into property more affordable or to make the supply of property in the future actually grow at a rate that our population is growing and that the need is growing for homes. So there's, um, yeah, definitely a couple of different things that we can probably dive into in that aspect. But yeah, just, you know, governments and their wild ideas, um, freezing rents is is just so unfair and definitely one-sided. And as you said, you know, the CGT and tax consequences, um, you know, to remove that and try and penalise people for trying to get ahead at life, it just definitely goes against everything that we, we feel it should be about. Well, I think Labor nearly lost an election mm. on that policy alone, didn't it? Was they? Bill Shorten? Yeah, that's yeah, right. back in you know the last Labor election at, at federal level. Yeah, he, um, they came out and said they were going to remove CGT discounts and um, they were going to get rid of franking credits for retirees on their dividends. They couldn't get franking credit right. refunds. And all of a sudden, when you start messing with people's little tax incentives, I think there's enough in that for the population to go, nah, you know, none of this, uh, none of this touching our tax offsets and, and things that make our lives better. But yeah, I, I definitely don't have in our portfolio of probably you know, we do over a thousand individual tax returns. The majority, the vast majority of rental property owners are just your average everyday Aussies having a crack. They're, they're not these high net worth individuals that are, they've just acquired properties that are sitting there for their family to use. They're people that have them rented out by families, um, you know, that, that need a place to live and they're doing the, the right thing. And, you know, Nick, as you said, all of these new rules have made it so hard to be a landlord with the compliance costs. And, you know, you said there's a, the, you know, I think you touched on the smoke alarm idiot or something or the fee that somebody has to come through and just make sure your smoke alarms uh, are working. And, you know, it's, it's yep. understandable that when property prices had gone up over the last couple of years, that landlords went, you know what, it's time to cash out and sell up. And there's one less rental property on the market if somebody buys it and moves in this is um and you know this is the opposite to what's been said the last 15 years but i think why not increase mm-hmm. negative gearing or increase the impact of neg- negative gearing because you know we're what we're talking about here is we're separating um wealth or wealthy people from from mum and dad landlords so most mum and dad la- landlords as we know have leveraged against the equity in their house 
to then go and proceed to buy an investment property. So they're the ones that are leveraged up and they're the ones that are feeling the pinch here. So they're the ones at negative gear. Most wealthy people that are holding properties with not much debt are not negative gearing anyway because they don't have the costs associated because they don't have interest. So if you've got someone that's sitting on you know $4 million properties that they bought, they've bought in 1930 with no debt on them, they don't have the ability to neg- negative gear anyway. It's the mum and dad's. So increase that. Like in Jace, you're at, um, you'd be better to talk to this than, than we would, but I would question whether, whether negative gearing has such a significant impact that it makes a decision as to whether or not people own the property these days. So if you're happy to take 5% stamp duty off people as a tax um, to get into the property, so mum and dad want to buy an investment property for 600, well, there's 30 grand that goes to the government. Um, maybe give some more back as far as increasing negative gearing so it's easier for landlords to hold the property, then then you can look at reducing rents or then you can have some sort of incentive. There's the NRAS incentive, but I don't know enough about it. But from what I do understand, there's so many things surrounding that that make the investments not great. So it's not necessarily the best asset to buy. So do it on all the assets. Do it on the assets where that mum and dads want to buy because mum and dads want to get capital growth. Don't don't pigeonhole them into a particular type of asset to be in this tax-reduced scheme. You're basically saying, we'll buy an asset that's lower quality and we'll give you some money back. Well, who's going to do that? You want to buy an asset that's going to go up no matter what the tax consequences are. So yeah, maybe that's one. Increase the impact of negative gearing to make it easier, which will and then and then look at reducing rents. Great point, Nick. And, and the NRAS scheme, I, I, it's that was linked to property, so it's particular property. So that was really interesting. So I've seen that come through ten years now, and those properties in general, you know, didn't have a lot of capital growth. So what was happening at the end of the tax year, the government would give the landlord ten grand uh, tax free, and then it would be based upon reducing that rent quite significantly. I think it was something like. You know, 65% of the standard rent. Um, but the problem is, you're locked into that scheme for 10 years. And then, you know, when you're trying to sell out of that scheme on the back end, then people, you know, other investors come along going, that's a terrible return. Mm. So it actually has a detrimental effect to the investor, not getting as much capital growth in the, in, while they've got the investment, plus on the sale aspect down the back, down the, down the end game is, is still not good either. So it, um, it was counterintuitive for an investor. So yeah, it was weird. Yeah, and to be honest, uh, over nearly 10 years of doing tax returns for our clients, I've got one client that uses the NRAS scheme. So yeah, I've I think, only had two in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So uh, very, very underutilised. So for anyone who's interested and thinks, hang on, 10 grand or 11 grand a year for 10 years, I can pocket 100 grand. Maybe it's worth looking into not to completely slam it, but just it's underutilised and not seen for the reasons we've touched on. Um, you do have to lower your rents by 20% or more to allow it yeah. for um, you know affordable rentability. Um, but it's called the National Rental Affordability Scheme or NRAS. Um, so yeah, if you do want to look into it a little bit deeper, feel free to look yeah. it up. And if you've got any questions, uh, shoot them our way. But, and the one client yeah. that, that I had on it said the nice thing about it was they got that 10 grand net and they could still yep. get their deduction. So it kind of worked for them in real time on that level. But from an investment, so to speak, in capital growth, there wasn't much in it for them. So, in fact, they made a loss, I think. <laughs> yeah, handy for cash flow year to year, but if you were, you know, trying to buy a property for 
800 grand and try and sell it 10 years later for 1.6 million, you're not going to get that double, double your property growth that you should be looking to achieve every seven to 10 years. It's just not going to happen with those type of properties. So um, my question, Jace, like uh, there's an obvious concern and I saw it even being in Noosa where people were priced out of their rental mm. properties and particularly with um, and not not to put the landlords under the bus here but property prices went up obviously and demand for rents and low vacancy rates you know there's virtually non-existent vacancy mm. rates there so rents were going up quite substantially and people there was people that were now moving into their cars at the extreme or having to move out of the area so we get philosophically we don't want we don't want that to happen either to people so mm. what could be some solutions we could thrash out here that you know potentially could work off the top of my head i'm feeling like what we said already government need to provide housing at uh you know, that, that it's probably a lower investment for people to get into uh, and to control that. I mean, I know that's socialism, but mm. maybe that has to happen. Um, off the other thing well, on the top of my head was maybe giving a tax rebate to tenants, you know, do something along those lines. But yeah, any thoughts? To your point about the social housing, I just, and there's apparently people smarter than us that look at this stuff, but why do that you don't need to do that just make it affordable for investors yep. make it affordable for investors because they're the ones that are going to drive it like the amount the amount of work that's got to go into affordable housing and projects and you know i think now um when when developers in in this state anyway um if developers want to get certain um developments over the line they've got to have a certain number of, of affordable housing in yep. there anyway or something Correct. like that but just just encourage people to want to buy and lease properties out. That's all you've got to do. You don't have to have a government scheme to go and build them yourself and have it social housing. Of course, there, there probably is still a need for that for the people that are, are worse off than most. You know, There's also that side of the population we need to think about. But what they're talking about here is the general population, not the yeah. people that are on, you know, on government benefits that are really battling. That's where social housing works. But this is just for normal people. That's what the article is suggesting, that uh, are on you know, medium incomes or low incomes. You don't need a social housing concept or strategy. You just need to make it affordable to encourage investors to want to progress and to want to continue to build. Yeah, and you make a all good that point because everyone investors, makes more money. if there's a demand for a certain type of market and tenant, they will build that as well. You know, they'll, they'll build mm. to the demand. So capitalism looks after itself. Yep. If, um, you know, if there's a genuine need, people will actually invest and build those types of properties, you know, for, for the general market. Yep. Mm. One, one that I'm super interested in and got a vested interest because I know these guys, they were clients uh, before this, this um, got set up and they had to move, move on to bigger bigger things uh, up at the bigger end of town of the big four looking after them now but um, some guys uh, called Dan McLennan and Matt Berg you can find their articles in the AFR have set up what's called build to rent so through Macquarie who's set up I think like a billion dollar fund they've, they've raised a billion dollars of, of money to put into this fund 
to allow building apartment a full apartment buildings with you know 40 level 400 apartments there's one starting in south melbourne there's another one in kensington i think they're looking to have you know over a thousand or two thousand apartments online in the coming years that are all built to rent so you can't buy these apartments they're going to be owned by the developer or by macquarie to be rented out um, to people that want to live in and around the the suburbs of melbourne um, and I think all of a sudden, if you look at developers like that, there's another one, um, uh, Blue Earth Group, I think, are another one that was involved in Modern Fisherman's Bend back in 2015, and a couple of other, um, you know, from around the world that are getting involved in actually building these in Australia. So I think there's a Dutch group that are doing $1.5 billion worth of these in Australia, because it's been identified where there's a supply and a demand problem. People see opportunities. That's pure economics. And they've looked at the Australian market and gone, there is a severe shortage in properties that people are going to be able to rent. So what do we do? We're going to build billions of dollars worth of new rental properties and rent them out to people that need a place to live. But I mean, these ones, I mean, they're, they're, from what I can see, they have got the mindset of building great properties that will stand the test of time. They're not just kind of slapping together boxes for someone to rent. These ones are, you know, one, two, three bedroom apartments, one and a half thousand square metres of communal space, um, a lap pool, outdoor spaces for a dog wash, cinema, dining facilities and a lounge. So all of a sudden we've got people that are thinking ahead going, let's build fantastic places to live that people are going to want to rent and live here. So all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at another thousand apartments in Melbourne that people are going to be able to rent because somebody has seen a problem and trying to offer a solution. Um, you know, d does it take the government to do that? No. Would it be nice if they were thinking ahead as much as the, the private sector? Yeah, probably. But we can't rely on the government. It's going to take businesses like these that are, are going out and, and off their own bat building these. And, you know, good luck to them. I think it's um, a really great idea. What are your thoughts on Build to Rent, guys? Have you seen it much come across it? We actually covered some of this off a few episodes ago, um, talking with Nathan Theos. But, you know, Nathan's business now is... For those that haven't listened, Nathan's business is now um, focused on educating and, I guess, driving build to rent for developers. Um, so developers that are that are used to building properties but are not used to build to rent. So Nathan will consult to them and walk them through that process. So, yeah, look, I think it's a great idea. I um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it fixes this problem um, because I think that's more around more around people not having the ability to buy but as far as the scheme goes i think it's absolutely brilliant because it gives people you know the ability to to almost act like an owner or feel like an owner um, and be part of a community like you would if you bought a house um but you know you can rent it and rent it long term and not be worried about having to move every year so you're going to see a lot more of it um I think there's, there's there's a lot of buildings either underway or in the pipeline to be built so it's definitely going to be the way of the future um but yeah, definitely have a listen to Nathan's episode for anyone that didn't. That's great. Yeah, you can't cap progress. And I think that's that's the thing we hear here. There'll always be innovation to create solutions uh, for people in the you know, in the private sector. So I think um, yeah, that that's the thing. When I see these types of articles, they just concern me because it's um, it's no different what we talk about sometimes with uh, you know, the wage taxes, the payee tax and all, all the things you get stripped as a business owner as well, trying to create and produce jobs, more jobs, right? It's uh, similar fundamentals and I just don't I just don't buy that idea. I think there are better ways if you Don't sugarcoat it, mate. 
It's just a stupid yeah. idea. I was mortified. Anyway. That's been episode 65 of The Numbers Game, brought to you by Walker Digital, who we didn't get to mention at the front end of the show because Marty dived into the numbers. If you need a hand with your social media, check out the team at wlkr.digital. It will help you get all of your social media needs sorted. Thanks again for listening. Give us a follow if you haven't already. You can find us all on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, and if you'd just like to do the standard email, hello at the numbers game podcast.com.au. And for now... Game over.